today is a special Christmas treat. It is. It um similar to pudding. Yeah. My or understanding. the tangerine in the bottom of your stocking, in the toe of your stocking. Uh, oh, that's true. Tangerines are big here. They're a big Christmas thing. I saw in yeah. Wait Rose a display where it said Merry Christmas and underneath the Merry Christmas sign were baskets in which there were bags of tangerines. <laughs> I, know, I don't know why we're so obsessed with tangerines uh, at Christmas. Uh, because it's the depths of winter and you are a colonial empire. That is and true, it was, yeah. It's probably like, uh, ooh, we, we annexed the West Indies and now we have clementines or something. Literally obtaining the fruits of empire was a status <laughs> symbol. Yes. Um, that has carried through. Oh. But also... I'm still going to eat them. I'm just not going to buy the special Christmas ones. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure that's possible. Do they, don't they remove them all from their regular place in the store and put them in the Christmas display? Uh, it depends, I guess. What I particularly love, though, is that pudding means so many things here. Yeah. It just means something you enjoy after dinner, unless it's something you enjoy in the afternoon, unless mm-hmm. it's something that's a treat in the morning. That, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, there's no reason why this podcast could not be a Christmas pudding. <laughs> so, tuck in a napkin. I think that's the, the right etiquette. Yeah, right? When you absolutely. Have, tuck Into it in. Um, and dig in to special storyological pudding podcast. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about Gremlins because A, awesome Christmas movie, and B, we went to see it in the cinema a couple of weeks ago, a special BFI screening. And before we got there, I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen Gremlins. It's a great movie. Really enjoyed it. That bit where one of them gets shredded uh, in the paper shredder. And Chris either didn't really hear me or didn't say anything. And we got there and I was like, oh, this is a totally different movie to what I expected. And it turned out I had never seen it before. And I loved the hell out of it. Gremlins is a movie that I, I had seen before. <laughs> uh, one that I had seen early enough in my life that its music somehow is is um, is a limb of my childhood. I'm, I'm not sure that's a, a metaphor I want to follow. A bow of your childhood? Uh, bow as in like having tree. honor? Like or, a tree branch. Oh, yeah. like uh, hang a shining star on the highest bow. I don't know what that is. You don't know what that is? Um, <laughs> oh my god what? freak out here people um you know have yourself a merry little christmas yeah make the yuletide gay from now on anyway in that song do you remember the line where he says we'll have to muddle through somehow I, d- I don't really listen, listen to any to of the lyrics beyond to, the first two lines in that song um or just that one particular <laughs> <laughs> just decided there's one Christmas song, two lines. It's just enough. so bland. It just like all morphs into the same kind of milk pudding. I guess. Though I feel like it's possible that it seems bland because you don't know what they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you're like, this just sounds like gibber mash. <laughs> um, Shall I have a go at, at summarizing the plot of Gremlins? I haven't, I haven't prepared anything, so we'll see how it goes. So this dude is an adventor, an adventor, an inventor. And he is wandering the stalls and um, marketplaces of... The back alleys of Chinatown. The back alleys of Chinatown in... Do you know where he is? I can't remember where he is. Um, Hollywood, New York? Or <laughs> New York, Hollywood? Take your pick. One of those two, yeah. And he happens upon a little shop, a little boy, that takes him into a shop 
full of treasures and he sees nothing he likes there except this one cute little creature who sings him a tune and he says this <laughs> is that how it goes and so he tries to buy the the little mogwai for his son but the but the old shopkeeper won't sell it to him but the enterprising young grandson does sell it to him and takes it takes the cage outside to meet him secretly after he leaves and says here it is it's a hundred dollars but you must do three things you must never get them wet you must never feed them after midnight and they don't like bright lights. And they don't like bright yeah, lights. Kind of, oh, was it the of, Department of, kind of Energy? It, you kind of put it in <laughs> the order of least importance, but uh, those are the three things. Those are yes. the three things. Yeah. I had not remembered the boy, really. I, I, I remembered that he, he got it in Chinatown. But I particularly enjoyed the boy uh, because we're older now and we have a consciousness. Of, we have a problematic consciousness, really. It's called adulthood. And... When he went into Chinatown, I was like, oh, yeah, it's Chinatown. Oh, yeah, there's an old China guy with a long beard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wondered what it was going to feel like. And it, I mean, that's still there. But I love the boy. And yeah. I love that the boy has this whole little story where he and his grandfather, and they're running out of money. And so the boy yeah, so betrays his grandfather oh. in order to help the family. And it's, it's a whole little short story right there. Um, that already imbues the the MacGuffin, the object of the movie, with some sense of weight. Yeah, because of what's you know what's had to take place in order for it to move into the plot. And so the inventor dude, who maybe has a name that I can't remember, Dad, let's call him. So Dad takes Mogwai home. Yeah, gives him to his son as a gift. Yeah. And of course, and basically when the son does not manage to uh, adhere to these rules. <laughs> Which is really the whole point of saying rules at the beginning of yeah, the story. Yeah, it's like, oh, and then you've got this beautiful little tension in your chest being like, no, no, don't spill the water on the mogwai, don't spill, oh, oh, you did that. Okay, now they're going to go pop, 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 and reproduce. And, and yeah, basically they destroy the town. It, it all goes to shit. In the most wonderful and energetic ways. And and that is what I loved about the movie is the energy of when the when the Mogwais turn into gremlins, right? When they eat after midnight and they just turn into these little chaos monsters <laughs> who want to destroy things. And and they are pretty evil. They murder people in quite horrific ways. They also really love the movies. They they do. They really crowd into that <laughs> they really, cinema. <laughs> they really picked up quick. A lot of deep Hollywood references. They're they're, <laughs> yeah. they're meta. Five minutes after their birth, they're already meta. Mm-hmm. They already look like gnarly old men by the time they're three hours old. Um, do you have a favorite death from the movie? There's so much. Else. Well, they're really. I mean, the there's only one possible human death that we see, mm-hmm. and they might not even be dead. Which is the black science teacher who dies because. He's a different color than everyone else. Um, well, anyway, uh, yeah, so there's this, the, the science teacher that possibly dies. My favorite gremlin death um, might be the microwave mm-hmm. because we had a microwave. I don't think we had a food processor that I really ever saw, but we had a microwave. Uh, and we, we all thought about putting things in a microwave. <laughs> Just um, watching them go back. And, you know, much like born you know the born identity mm-hmm. there's a thrill in watching that guy fight 
when he's in a in a house because he just picks up stuff and uses it. And I felt the same way watching the mom in this movie <laughs> when she gets attacked by the gremlins and she's just she's throwing out knives, food processors. The, that lady is resourceful. No wonder she, you know, and the dad got together because he. Well, I mean, he he's resourceful in his mind. Yeah, but his, she's much things, more practical. Yeah, well, well, she's resourceful. It's not. It's, she's resourceful, but effective. Yeah, she's effectively resourceful, whereas the dad is uh, whimsically resourceful yeah which she is, is absolutely one of my favorite things about about the movie yes, and how particularly the two and a half minute yeah exactly where she she gets into a fight with two of the first gremlins that appear three of the first gremlins there were only like four or five at that point she almost killed them all you think for a moment she's going to be able to kill the beasts but she doesn't quite make it um and so it is wonderful and glorious but ultimately kind of sad that that then the movie goes on beyond her and the kids yeah. have to go after the remaining right. yeah sad remaining yeah, yeah in, the, in the most wonderful way right because they they loaded up the feeling that this movie might end before you wanted it <laughs> yeah, to after 14 and a half um, minutes and yeah but but i yeah i love that it feels like you know when you go to watch a magician and they they pretend for a moment that their trick isn't going to work mm-hmm you know it's pretend, but but you still like just the nod to to it somehow. Other thing I really liked about the scene with the mom is that it it it, um, it congealed a realization I had. There's this strain in '80s movies um, that often gets associated with Spielberg about broken homes. Um, but when we went to see Donnie Darko last night, there were a couple of scenes where they were eating dinner, and for some reason the movie is set in the '80s. But it also just felt like that was what you did in 80s movies. There was a lot of family dinner scenes in mm-hmm. 80s films. No one like eats dinner was, together anymore in movies. Um, yeah, yeah, also, yeah, I don't think so. And I, I, I don't know if it was Spielberg's influence or there was something that, uh, something in the air about post-70s America where people were obsessed with the disintegration of family, which meant that you showed a lot of families together before they disintegrated. Mm-hmm. But in in this movie, when the gremlins hatch and they start torturing Gizmo, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't see it in any other way. I guess well, maybe I've seen it 10 times. So I've <laughs> seen it many ways by now. But this time I was like, ah, it's like, it's like siblings and they're torturing their <laughs> sibling in the worst possible way. And then when the mom is fighting them and they're throwing glasses at her and so the, the domestic space has been mm. weaponized, it, f- it felt like it carried extra weight of domestic violence. Totally. <laughs> um, and that dissipates a bit as we get into the, the whimsy of carnage that they unleash uh, everywhere. They never stray far from that, the importance of family, though, because that's the other part of the movie that I fell so hard in love with so quick was was when Phoebe Cates uh, tells the boy a story, of the story of how her dad died and why she hates Christmas so much. And it's because on one Christmas, her father didn't come home when she expected him to and they lit the fire and there was this smell, this weird smell and then it turned out that her dad had dressed as Santa Claus and was trying to get down the chimney and had died getting stuck in the chimney and it is this most macabre, darkly, beautifully funny moment where I just couldn't believe that they went there. It was amazing. (laughs) It was one of my favorite moments watching the film at the bfi when she when phoebe cates's character says that last line that's when i learned there was no santa claus (laughs) and emma made it sound like that but much louder (laughs) 
And no one made any sound in the theater for, I don't know, a second before another guy decided it was okay to laugh. And then he laughed as well. Um, British audiences were very reserved. It's really, well, it's true, especially at the BFI. It's really a fantastic story. Uh, And Phoebe Cates is amazing. Uh, And I was in love with her for a long time as a kid. But that is a different story. Um, But related to this one. In that... I remember, I felt like when we finished the movie, it was like, here's Phoebe Cates. And again, problematic consciousness. We have in our mind the idea of a kind of female love object. But in this movie, it's more like what I remember 80s movies as being when there was adventure happening. There might be a boy and a girl, and there might be a romance, but they were just people. They weren't particularly sexualized. I think part of this is because Gremlins and the movies I watched as a kid, like Goonies and stuff, were aimed at adolescents and children. And so the the romance was often unspoken. Mm-hmm. And there wouldn't be a lot of shedding of clothing in an adventure movie just to show that this woman was whatever, mm-hmm. uh, sexy. So I, that was it was refreshing to watch this movie and think... He's not really sexualized. And this movie isn't a love story, and it doesn't pretend to be. It's a story about monsters in which there is love. Yeah, and she has her own arc, her own story, her own role, her own life. She literally has a story (laughs) to tell. And I wrote that down afterwards, and and I just thought again, why are adult movies so bad at that? Or at least why are they bad enough that that is what people talk about? You know, yeah. the, like the paucity of the, the female. And I, and I presume it is because, sadly, that when a lot of adults write stories in which there is a romance, they're writing it point, from the point of view of usually a man acquiring someone. Yeah. Whereas these movies happily are written from a more childhood. They, they say, have an adventure. And wouldn't it yeah. be cool if we fell in love while we were having but our yeah, adventure? Exactly. That's what having a partner is. It's just like yeah, someone to run by exactly. your side. Yes. These, these children's movies have a much more mature understanding <laughs> yes. of what partnership is between people. Um, yeah. There's something else I loved. Uh, actually, my third thing that I... I I felt noticed in this movie, which is it has a very efficient escalation. I I, I just adored how um, lean its yeah. carnage is, its narrative engine is. There, yeah. There's just enough of uh, humor with the gremlins, and there's just enough of them destroying the town. And there's just there there's there's actually there, there's the three moments of possible winning with the third one in which they actually do win. Mm. But yeah, yeah, the mom attack, and then there's a bit where they all are in the theater, and it's and it's all just ridiculous because we've seen them in a pub with Phoebe Cates' character enacting movie scenes. So they already love movies. <laughs> yes. And then they are in a movie theater watching Snow White and the Seven Drawers, really getting into it. And I loved how they were singing. Like, they were happy. They were happy monsters. They are And that monsters. made it just a little bit better that they are monsters and they have destroyed the town and probably killed people. So we don't like them. But how much better to have the monster be happy before the heroes try to blow them up, which they mostly do, but one of the gremlins escapes. So alas, mm-hmm. the movie keeps going <laughs> one little bit more. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Thanks for listening, readers. Uh, that has been a Storylogical mini episode. We hope you had an amazing Christmas. And we hope you're enjoying our weird experiments that we're doing with form. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm not talking about short stories exactly. I mean, I gotta, I, I mean, I we did this well calling it Storylogical and saying amazing stories. Yeah, there's nothing we gave ourselves in, a lot of latitude. Yeah, we've it's just latitudinal. 
real attitudinal folk. And we will be back with more treats and a new season in February. Uh, if you haven't listened to every single one of our episodes, they're all at storylogical.com slash wherever you listen to podcasts, where you click the little magnifying glass that's somehow come to represent search in all its forms. <laughs> it's true. Even though it's really like a detective thing. So it's like you click on it and you're going to, here's like a, a clue. Game of Cluedo. Um, it's similar. Yeah. I mean, that clearly that game has too many letters in its name. <laughs> um, uh, and you can follow us on Twitter at Storylogical, which we're not going to spell over the holidays. We don't get time for that. We got presents to wrap. Uh, Emma's on Twitter. She's at Ichi Kosh. And he's on Twitter at Kuvals. And we'll be back at some indeterminate point in the future. Thanks for listening. Happy holidays. <laughs> <laughs>